Thank you for listening to Overcomers Church International Weekly Message. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened as you hear the Word of God. I'm going to continue talking about the laws of faith. And when I talk about laws, I've mentioned it before and I've talked about it and I've referred to it, save with like gravity. And gravity is a law that operates in the natural realm and it's consistent. And there's a lot of parallels because what's true in the natural is true in the spirit. And there are laws that govern the natural realm and there are laws that govern the spiritual realm. Amen. But then the Lord started speaking to me a little bit more that, you know, when you're looking at the laws, it's not so much things that are just consistent, but it's things that you have authority in. It's things that you can actually take and you can, if I could use the word manipulate, or you can take and you can exercise, that's what it looks like with faith. You know, there's a reason why people get results in their life and other people don't get results in their life. Because if God's grace is extended to us and we walk in faith, we will manifest what God's grace has for us in that particular area. Amen? So when you see people and they're lacking in something, what's become tradition is just to say, well, you know, that, that God just didn't want them to have it or this, that, or the other. Instead of looking at the reality and just saying, well, they're not in faith. Because if they were in faith, they would be able to stop the lies of the enemy. They would be able to stop the issues and problems going on in their life. Because the truth is, is God's grace is bigger and greater than any and everything that will ever come against us. So if we learn how to operate in a pure faith, we'll manifest God's grace for that particular area all of the time. But we have to learn how to cooperate with those things. I use the analogy about, you know, if you didn't, if you didn't know, if you were living in, a, in an environment, in a place to where uh, it was counted on you to, to plant seed and then reap a harvest, but yet you didn't know how to do any farming at all, you would starve to death if you were living in a, in a time or a place like that, right? Right now, we just go to the grocery store and just buy it all. It's no problem. But if we were living in those kind of conditions, if you didn't know how to operate within the laws of sowing and reaping naturally, you would starve. Amen? So spiritually, it's the same thing. When it comes to the laws of faith, we need to learn how to cooperate with them. Otherwise, we're not going to manifest whatever it is that God has for us according to faith. And I just think about the same thing. <laughs> same thing. I'm going to see if I can say this without being uh, weird or funny. But I think about the same thing with, with procreation. And, you know, people, it's just almost like, well, God's blessed us with this many, and God's blessed us with that many. And, you know, we're just going to have as many as the Lord wants us to have. And that's fine, however you view all that stuff. But the truth is, you have a part to play in that. I can promise you, there's, there's not two people that have gotten married and have kids that did not have a part to play in those kids actually coming to pass. Amen. It's kind of funny, but it's the truth. So there are things that God has set up. He set an order to things we need to understand the order to how that, those things operate, and then we can manifest what it is that he says that we can manifest. Because the truth is, actually, God's not... Now, for some people, this might be hard to hear, but just stick with me for a second. God's not actually creating people anymore. He's given the ability, and I'm not saying that he doesn't breathe life into that baby in the womb. I believe that with everything in me, and that needs to be preached more now than ever. But he actually has set laws in motion of procreation. He set things in order first, which was seed time and harvest. And if we cooperate with those things, then we can reproduce babies. Amen. But we have to cooperate with it. And the reason I'm saying all this is that, that faith works the same way. Nobody would stand on the outside of a marriage of people that had, say, I don't know, like 12 kids or something. Nobody would stand outside... <laughs> And wonder how they came up with 12 kids. I'm not pointing out anybody in particular or anything like that. So, Or four kids or five kids or two kids, whatever it is that you have. Nobody wonders, right? But yet when somebody manifests healing or blessing or prosperity or good relationships or whatever it is, people oftentimes will look at that and say, well, God's just blessed them. Listen, God's blessed everybody. The blessings, that, he's no respecter of persons. Every blessing that he's given to me, he's given to you. Every blessing that he's given to you, he's given to me. 
There are particulars that might go with the, the, the calling or the place that God's called us to that he wouldn't give to somebody else. But when it comes to, to healing, deliverance, prosperity, made whole, good relationships, strong families, all of that, and a bunch more, God's given that to everybody. So if you look at somebody else and they've got something that should be operating in your life, don't just chalk it up and say, well, God's just blessed them. They've just got favor on them that I just don't have. No, what they probably have is an understanding about how to acquire what God has so freely given to people. See, we don't say that about salvation because we have a different understanding about salvation. If we see somebody who's saved versus somebody who's not saved, somebody who's born again versus somebody who's not born again, we say the person who's not born again, the reason that they're not is because they haven't put faith in God's grace for that area. But when it comes to so many other things, we don't say that. We don't have that language. And I think the biggest reason is that people don't want to take responsibility. It's like a cop-out. They don't want to take responsibility for things manifesting or not manifesting in their life. But the truth is, the quicker we get a hold of the fact that we have the ability to take God's grace through faith and apply it to our lives, the quicker we'll see manifestation in the areas that we need to see manifestation. And this is a continually how we need to walk. It says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? When you first got born again, it was by grace through faith. Amen. So the same way that we receive him is the same way that we walk in him. Hallelujah. So I started last week talking about uh, some of that, and there's kind of the review plus a little bit. But I talked about the laws of faith, and I started talking about two of them to start off with. And you might ask, well, how many laws of faith are there? I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. And there's a lot. And you say, well, if I don't understand all of them, am I, am I going to be able to receive? I don't want you to look at it like that. I want you to look at it like this, that the more you know, the more you and I know, the better we can relate, understand, and manifest fully what God has. Because the truth is, is that I'm walking way better than how I used to, but I know this, the more that my revelation increases next year and in five years and 10 years, I'll be further along then than I am now. So this is an ever-increasing thing. I also don't want you to look at faith as if it's step one, two, three, four, and five, and if you do those steps, then boom, something's going to happen. It doesn't work like that. Everything, everything in the kingdom of God works through relationship, including faith. So we can have some steps. We can have some understanding. We can have some laws that we can understand how faith works and what governs faith, but it's still a work in progress. Amen? So the best thing that we can do is just continue to learn and grow and receive because the more understanding we have, the better we're going to be able to use it. So I talked about last week about the fact, and this is so important, and I'm not going to go into the details in the name of Jesus of it, because I, I could stay there all, all service again, but we already have the faith of Jesus. This is, and I proved this multiple times, and you can go back soon and listen on a podcast. You can go back and listen to, to that, but I just took the word and just explained the fact that we already have the exact same faith that Jesus did, and the reason that's so important is because most people are trying to acquire more or bigger faith. Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, it's enough to move a mountain. The size of your faith isn't important. Just know that you have the faith of Jesus on the inside of you. The life that we now live in the flesh, we live by the faith of the Son of God. We have his faith inside of us, which means we have that ability through him to believe God for anything. So that was the first thing is I just talked about the faith is already there. The ability to believe God is already there. And what we need is we just need a pure faith. We're not looking to have a big faith necessarily, but it's just a pure faith. And I use examples about Abraham, about how in hope, contrary to hope, he believed. And, and he didn't consider his own body or the deadness of Sarah's womb. So Abraham just simply believed, and he didn't believe anything else. He didn't disbelieve, and he wasn't in unbelief. And that's why he manifested the promise of God. Amen. So the, the biggest problem, and this is the next thing I talked about, is that unbelief actually works against our faith. And so if you can understand that, then what we need to do is not work to get more faith, but actually work to get less unbelief. And if you can think of it like, and I just heard this analogy, and I think it's a great way to put it. If you had a team of uh, uh, horses, or if you had a, a wagon here, and you had a team of horses on this side, and you had a team of horses on this side, and one of them represented faith and the other one unbelief, whichever one has more of on the other side, that's the thing that's going to move that wagon, right? Right? 
And so that's how it works with faith and unbelief. But you already have enough faith to move the wagon. That's not the issue. The problem is, is that we've got, we've got 100 yards of, of horses stacked up on the unbelief side. And so we just try. We're like, God, I'm going to believe you for this. And all, we have all of the thoughts, the wrong, the, you know, the wrong words that have been spoken, the wrong ideals or whatever it is that we got in there that work against us manifesting what God has promised. We're supposed to have a simple childlike faith. To where we just see something, we go, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's just simple. We just receive it. I've found that children can receive from the Lord most of the time a lot easier than adults can. can. And it's not because kids know more. It's because they know less. What happens is adults sit in, in, well, just around people and around weird church circles or whatever, and people get off on all kinds of weird doctrines and stuff, and they learn the wrong way for a long time. And then when they see a promise in, in the word, they go, God, I need that in my life. And they start to move that direction, but they've got years of unbelief pulling them in the wrong direction. So we just need to have a simple childlike faith where we quit making excuses for why things aren't working and start to say, Lord, just show me what it is that I need to change in my thinking, my attitude, my daily routine that will help me just simply believe in you and trust in you. Amen. So faith is, is we have faith. If you've been born again, you have the measure of faith. You have the same faith. Peter said we have like precious faith. We just need to work at getting rid of the unbelief. This is why I've, got, I've become more staunch, and I'm getting this way all the time, about not allowing influences in my own heart and in my own life and my own home that would contradict what God says about me. You know, I, had, I used to like watching those shows like ER and House and things, things like that. And I don't know, I mean, if you watch those, that's your business. But, you know, if you sit and watch that for three hours and read the word for 30 minutes and expect you're going to manifest the healing that God so clearly says in his word belongs to you, you're going to have a tough time. you got to be careful what you put in you. That's extremely important. Amen. But I'm going to get to more of that later. I'm going to move on to the next law of faith. And the next law of faith is that, and I've already mentioned this somewhat, but I'm just going to, uh, mention this briefly again, is that faith doesn't work independent of grace. It's extremely, extremely important that we understand this. We do not use pry bar faith. I've, I've heard people talk about pry bar faith. Anybody ever heard that, heard that before? But people, even if you've never heard a message on it, people think this way. They think, if I can just get enough faith, if I can get a, a bigger faith, if I can be in faith enough, then even, even if God doesn't want me to, to have it, <laughs> which is silly, but then I can move God with me just being in faith. I got news for you. Your faith does not move God. And I've heard people even say that. Faith moves God. That's wrong. Your faith does not move God. God is pleased, pleased with your faith. In fact, the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please him. And that doesn't mean that if you're not in faith at some point that God's not pleased with you. There's a difference between God being pleased with you and you being pleasing to him. Amen? And when you're in faith, it's pleasing to him. So don't misunderstand me, but it doesn't cause him to move. You know what causes God to move? It's grace. Grace is what causes God to move. And God has moved by grace through the cross in specific, totally independent of us. And we understand that through salvation. Because when we pray for someone to receive Jesus, we don't say, God, will you please come down? Will you please jump on that cross and die for this person? Lord, shed your blood for them. <laughs> Why wouldn't we do that? Because that's nonsense, right? He's already paid the price through his grace. When we pray with someone and we say, brother, sister, all you have to do is just reach out and just say yes to the Lord and receive what he's already provided by his grace. We would never say, you got to pray. Well, some circles might, but most people don't believe this. And we would hopefully never say that you got to pray and you got to believe and you got to do all this stuff, then God will save you. No, it's a free gift. It's just given to you. So anything that we receive from the Lord by faith, it comes through the grace of God. And the quicker we understand that, the quicker we stop beating ourselves over the head, trying to work in faith and do it and do it and, and having all step one through 100 and confessing 400 times or whatever. You know, you might have to confess 400 times for something, but it's not to get God to move on your behalf. It's to get your heart and thinking aligned with his word so you'll move on his behalf. You'll move in accordance with what he's already said. 
That's the reason for the whole confession thing is just to believe. When you're confessing, you're saying the same thing as him. Confessing doesn't mean to say something so that God will believe what you're saying and then do based off of what you're, you're believing. That's, <laughs> but that's how some people think that it works. But when you're confessing, it literally means to say the same thing as. So if you're saying that by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed and this sickness can't stay, you're not con- trying to convince God that by the stripes of Jesus, you're already healed. He was there when his son was tied to the whipping post and beat and had the 39 stripes taken on his back. He's very convinced that by his stripes, you're already healed because God was there and witnessed the whole thing. What we need to do is we need to confess it so that we're convinced of the thing. So that we really actually believe it. Amen. That's what confession really is there for. But grace, our faith does not work independent of grace. Look here in Romans chapter 4 and verse 16. It says, therefore, it is, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. Now, this is speaking about Abraham. This was even before the cross. But this understanding of grace and faith working together is the way it's always been. So it says, therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but to all those who are of faith, the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Abraham was the example that was set for us about how to receive from God. And so every person that's brought into the kingdom of God, the process of receiving from the Lord is the exact same. This wasn't just talking about Abraham's salvation because it was already accounted unto Abraham as being righteous because he had faith in God. This is talking about Abraham bringing forth the promised seed into the earth. And how did he do it? By grace, through faith. It says it right here. It's been there all along. We talk about the faith of Abraham. And I've heard so many things about Abraham got into such great faith that God moved. That's wrong. If you're trying to arrive at some level in your faith before you think God's going to move, at what level do you have to get to? Man, that's, if you think that that's frustrating... That's all. I, I was there at one point, and it was just like, we got to get, it's got to be bigger and greater and whatever, and it was never big enough. And by the way, it says that, that you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, but it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So if we could a, a, aspire to some great faith and then receive wouldn't we be able to boast in that a little bit? Oh, brother, how, I mean, how did you get this miracle in your life? Well, Great faith. <laughs> Took me three years of fasting and praying, but it was the great. No. It was God's grace that provided the thing. God's grace provided the miracle working power for two people that didn't have the ability in the natural to produce a child. It was God's grace that provided that. And finally, when Abraham stopped considering his own body, because it says that he didn't consider his own body or the deadness of Sarah's womb, there was a time period, if you read the word, where he did consider it. But finally, when he stopped considering it, then the grace of God, through his pure faith, manifested the promise that God had. That's awesome. That's really encouraging. That tells me that I've already got all the goods. You already have the goods. You have the ability to actually believe God for whatever. We just need to listen to our, read the word and, and hear what God has to say and then go, you know what? That actually doesn't line up with what God says. I'm just going to believe what God says. Simple as that. But when you understand that grace and faith work together, then it's easy. It's us working in conjunction with the Lord. And some people say, well, it's half grace and half faith. No, it's 100% grace and it's 100% faith. It's 100% what God's done, and it's 100% what we do in response to what God's done. Amen. Man, if you understand this, this can, this can cause you to, to look at what God's promised and say, you know what? That actually not only belongs to me, I can, I can actually walk in that thing. I can walk in the thing. Here, I'm looking at, at Tony back here, and I don't know where Shannon went to, but they, she had a, a list, and I hope I can share this. I'm just sharing it. You guys can give the testimony another day, the full thing or whatever, but... They had, she had, I mean, she had a list of things that were, were going on, and they started, and he did too. He had, I think her list was longer, but they both had a lot of stuff going on physically in their life, and man, they just, they just, and I think it started with him, he just put his foot down, and he said, nope, no more of this, and he'd been hearing a lot of the same stuff, what I'm talking about right now, 
And I think that probably nearly everyone, I mean, there was a list of, I don't know, between the two of you, like 50 or 60 things wrong physically. And I think you've got almost nothing going on now, just a couple little things they're believing God for. Amen. And, and a lot of that happened through people laying hands on them and praying for them. But you know that faith was not absent when they were doing that. It wasn't just some, some thing where someone just came and waved you know, their hand over them and boom, everything just changed. It was taking the word, putting the word in them. I'm trying to show you the process here. Putting the word in, believing God, being quickened that way, and it ultimately it ended up releasing what God's grace had already provided. Man, that's how, that it, that's how it works. And every one of us should, should hear testimony like that. Every one of us should, should hear that and say, you know what? God's no respecter of persons. He loves me just as much as he loves them. And I say, actually, God probably loves me more. I'm his favorite. Amen. <laughs> Brother Andrew says that he carries a picture around of, of me in his wallet, and he's got an 8 by 10 of me on his mantle. Amen. See, you know what, if, it, if God will do it for somebody else, or he's already done it for somebody else, if it manifested, that's the right way to say it. If it manifested in somebody else's life, man, the Holy Ghost can, can help me bring about that same manifestation in my own life. That's encouraging. Amen. See, if you look at faith as something that you have to arrive to, or you just got to beat yourself over the head to, to get to some place, this, this is why so many faith people or whatever, they get discouraged after 5 or 10 or 15 years, and they finally go, it doesn't work. That's because they're putting all of the... The, the happening on their ability instead of just learning to have a simple trust in God's grace that he's already provided everything. Amen. So the next law of faith that I want to mention to you, and I want to talk about it here for a moment, is that knowledge of God's will is a prerequisite to believing it. Now, if you're taking notes, I don't know how to, I could spell prerequisite, but I had to actually go use word, the whatever grammar spell thing. But anyways, knowledge of God's will is a prerequisite to believing it. You can't believe for something that you don't have knowledge of first. It's very simple, but it's very important. Faith begins where the will of God is known. When you first know about God's will concerning something is when you can first have faith to believe for that thing. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I'm going to try not to harp here because I think I did a week or two ago, and I'm going to try not to camp on this very long, but it just amazes me how many people will pray, Lord, if it be thy will. I can't tell you the last time I prayed, Lord, if it be thy will. What I say is, Lord, show me your will. Because if you don't understand the will of the Lord, it is unwise. Otherwise, it wouldn't say, don't be unwise, but understand the will of the Lord. So faith begins where the will of God is known. As a matter of fact, knowledge of God's will is a prerequisite to believing it. Over in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we ask of him. It says this is the confidence that we have in him. It's, there's no confidence in saying, Lord, we just don't know what you want to do. We just don't know, Lord. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard. But Lord, if it be that, can you hear that there's no confidence in that kind of prayer? We should be wise and know the will of the Lord for any given situation, anything. And there are different types of the will of God. There's the, what I just call the general will, which is his word, and it's written there for everybody, and it's the same for everybody. Whatever promise you need, if it's in there, it belongs to you. But then there's the specific will that God would have for your life, dealing with the specifics concerning people, places, things, ideas, all of that. That's a specific will. But you cannot believe God for any of his will, specific or general, until you first have knowledge of his will. Amen. And you don't even necessarily have to have the whole knowledge. You don't have to know it all, but you have to have some kind of understanding. Otherwise, when you go and pray, you won't have any confidence. It says this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we pray anything according to his will, he hears us. Well, if you're not praying according to his will, knowingly, you can't have any confidence in your prayers. And if you don't have confidence, confidence is what faith is all about. 
As a matter of fact, faith is, this is what faith is. This is a great definition of faith. It's trust and confidence at a heart level. It's just a very simple word. You said that, and I just, I just believe that. I just believe that. Not, I'm going to choose not to believe anything different than what you said. So faith is trust and confidence at a heart level. But before we can actually believe for something, we have to have knowledge of that particular thing. So it's not wrong to say, Lord, I don't know your will in this thing, but then don't follow it up with, well, whatever your will is. There's no authority in a prayer like that. You understand it's good to say, if you don't know, Lord, I don't know your will in this situation, but show me. Because the very verse that I, I quoted, that eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Most people stop there, but if you go on to, to read the next thing, it says, but he has revealed them to us through his Holy Spirit. So if you don't know something, if you don't know something from the word, use the Holy Ghost to help you. But read the word, and God will show you from his word what his will is. If you don't know something for your particular life, like, you know, there was not a verse that told Liz and I, you know, seven and a half years ago, pick up your bags and move to Perryville, right? We had to hear that word from the Lord. But once we heard it, we could begin to pray that way. We had faith that, that it would actually come to pass, and we had confidence in our prayers. Amen. We had authority. So then when the enemy would come against us with something, we would say, wait a second, we have a word from God concerning this. Devil, you can't tell me what's not going to happen because God's already said what's going to happen. I mean, for years, and one of the words that we, we had when we moved here is that God hadn't called us here to fail. Oh, what a powerful word. And looking back, I think if we didn't have that word, I don't, we probably would have failed. But every time we'd come up against a situation, it's like, well, this, this, this reeks of failure right, right here. <laughs> Everything looks like failure in this situation, the Lord would say, but I haven't called you here to fail. We'd say, well, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I don't know the way out of this, but you're going to help us navigate. And we thank you, thank you, Jesus, that we've got authority over the devil. And we just do whatever it was that we need to do. And we would pray in confidence because we knew the will of the Lord. Crazy important. Hallelujah. Next point, and this goes right with it, and this is another law of faith is that faith originates from hearing the word of God. Oh, so very important. When the Lord speaks something to you, when he reveals something to you, you need to speak it out of your own mouth. You need to begin to prophesy that thing over yourself because faith begins or comes from and originates from hearing the word of God. And know this too, that faith does not come from any other source. So whether you're talking about a word of prophecy for a situation, just a word from the Lord, whatever, or you're talking about his written word, that's how faith comes. I love worship. And worship can quicken faith, but worship doesn't necessarily have the knowledge of what you need to believe. Now, with that being said, we sing amazing songs, and God could speak to you through the words of the song. But my point is, it's not, it's not an experience. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's what his word says. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, it says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So it's not hearing by the word of somebody else, although God could speak through somebody else. It's not through just having an exciting time driving down the road or whatever. You have to have a word from God concerning the situation to have faith for that thing to believe for that thing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word you hear will quicken faith in that particular area. So if salvation is needed, you need the word concerning what salvation says. Not necessarily how to grow a family or something. <laughs> Amen. If you're needing to know how to raise your kids right, well, you probably aren't necessarily needing to hear a message on or a word on healing. You need to hear things on how to train up your kids in the way that they need to go and teaching that would go with that. Why? Because it will quicken faith in that area. It amazes me. And this, see, this is so important. People can be living in just complete, utter turmoil, mess in their life, marriage failing, sick, broke, beat up by the devil, and they'll want to come and talk about end times. Now, I'm not against teaching on end times. It's in the word for a reason. 
Amen. We need to know more about it. We need to know as much about it as we possibly can. I'm not against that. But if your marriage is failing, Revelation's probably not where you need to be reading at the moment. Does it make sense? So faith is quickened in areas when you hear the word concerning that particular area. That's not real deep, but that's real important. Because sometimes it's like we'll be reeling with issues in our life and we'll just like go and read or just go and listen to something when our prayers need to be directed and say, God, this is a problem in my life. You see it. I see it. Now, I'm asking you to lead me into teaching, understanding, revelation, the right message on YouTube, whatever it is that will quicken faith in me for that particular area to help me manifest your grace by faith for the thing that I need. Crazy important. Amen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When someone tells me that they have faith for something, but they have no word from God to back it up, then I would say to that person, your faith is false. It's not a real faith because you can't have faith for something unless real Bible faith, unless God has spoken that word to you, unless that word has been quickened to you. And that's another thing that goes along with this. You can, and I've met many people like this, that they know the Bible frontwards and backwards, but they don't have any quickening. You can't believe for something you haven't been quickened with. And that quickening means that it, it comes alive. It's like a rhema word is another way we've heard it said before. To where that thing comes alive. So if you're going to actually manifest what God's grace has provided in any area, you have to have a quickening there. And I would venture to say that this is probably the biggest frustration that people have taking a promise of God and trying to apply that promise to their life is they see, well, it's in the Bible. It's right there. It's in front of me. I should have that thing. But they've never allowed the Holy Spirit, when you talk about quicken, they've never allowed the Holy Spirit to make that thing come alive on the inside of them to where it becomes a living. Because the Bible, the Bible is a living word, Right? It's, it's an alive thing. And so it's not ever supposed to be read like a textbook. It's supposed to be read with the Holy Spirit who lives on the inside of us, guiding us and teaching us and revealing and bringing things to light that we need for that particular thing. And so I've had times, and I can remember one particular time, without going into the whole story, I found a, a lump on me. And I, I got, it was late at night, and I got out of bed and went into the living room, and Liz is like, what are you doing? I said, I just need to go and pray. I was not going to speak that out of my mouth, what I found. I'm like, God, I need something to stand on to eliminate the things that are, that are coming at me and the thoughts that are coming towards me. And so I went, and I just started reading in the Word, and all of a sudden, I got to this one, this one particular verse that I wouldn't have picked out for a healing or a miracle or something, but I was just being led by the Holy Ghost where to read, and all of a sudden, I read it's in, in uh, Psalm uh, 55, and it says that I will not permit the righteous to be moved. And when I was reading it, it was like, Boom. I was like, God, what are you saying? He said, are you, the right, are you righteous? And I said, well, not by anything that I've done, but according to what you've given me, yes, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He said, this thing will not move you. I said, awesome. Close the Bible. Went back to bed, went to sleep and slept like a baby. And I stood on that promise. I stood on what God said until I actually saw that thing manifest. Because that's how it works. But you have to have the quickening. You can't just go and pick something out. You can believe everything that the word says. Every single thing that's in the word. You can believe it to the fullest. Because God's word is 100% true. But it's got to come alive on the inside of you before it actually works properly. Amen. I want to give you one more law of faith here, and then we're going to quit with this. And more than, more than a, a law, I'll say it's a law, but it's also just really great wisdom, is that our environment must be protected. Now, I've had instances where I've prayed for people in the wrong environment and seen, still seen manifestation. I'm not saying that that can't happen, but as a general rule, you are not going to see things turn around and change in a really rotten environment. And I'll give you some scriptures to back it up. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. So when you have God's goodness trying to manifest 
in a, a, a bad situation or environment, it usually happens the other way around, that the rottenness ends up overtaking the good. And so we have to be very careful of the environment that we place ourselves in, no matter what no matter what the situation is. But in particular, when you're talking about believing God for the, the supernatural, because this whole thing about faith, it's all about the supernatural. That's what we're shooting for. Look over here in Mark chapter 6. And let me show you a couple examples here in Mark 6. Actually, one in Mark 6 and one in Mark 5. And this will really, really bless you seeing this. So we have to protect our environment. We need to protect the environment of our home, of our hearts, of our minds, of our families. In fact, the Bible says to guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Amen. Look here at Mark chapter 6. And this is an environment and a broader perspective, and we're just going to read the first six verses here. It says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? And then it comes, then it really starts. It says, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, in his own house. How many of y'all can relate to Jesus at least a little bit? You tried to go and tell your family, Man, look what God showed me. And they're like, And they get, they almost get offended at you. You know why? Because people that are walking in darkness don't want to hear about your light. Because when people are walking in darkness, they don't want light lest their deeds should be exposed. So you've got to be careful about throwing things out to people when they really don't want to hear it. I've learned that. I can have, I can have the, the Holy Ghost just raging on the inside of me with revelation, and I'll get around certain people, and I have to keep my mouth shut. Paul said this. He said that when he received the revelation of the gospel of Jesus, he did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Why? Because flesh and blood are the, are the, the thing, the people and their thinking will come against you in what it is that you believe. And if you're not careful, you can have this amazing revelation that you know is from God. And, you, and, and we want people to agree with us. That's kind of a natural thing, and it's not a bad thing. But you got to know that people will not, many people will not agree with what it is that God said about you or your life or that the revelation you got from the word. Many people will not agree with you. You have to be careful who you talk to. You have to be careful. The Bible says, don't cast your pearls before swine. And that's, there, that's talking about having precious revelation that God gives to you, who you give that revelation to. Because when you have people that you love and know and trust and whatever, and you start telling them what God has revealed to you, and they start coming against the revelation that you know came from God, if you do that long enough, it will start to affect what you believe about what God said. You have to protect that thing, guard that thing, guard the environment of your heart. And so Jesus, I love, he just says, hey, a prophet's not without honor except in his own, own country among his own relatives in his own house. And then it says that, now he could do no mighty work there. Now, this is the Lord and Savior. This is God manifest in the flesh. This was the greatest minister that's ever walked the face of the earth or ever will walk the face of the earth. That's pretty powerful. And it says, it didn't say he wouldn't do any mighty works. It said he couldn't do any mighty works. Why? It says that except he lay his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. It was their unbelief, it's where they were at, that kept the power of God from manifesting through Jesus like it was supposed to. Otherwise, it would have, wouldn't have said, well, he could only just do a heal a few sick people. He couldn't do any mighty works there. Why? It's because they looked at him and said, he can't really, he can't really do that. This is the guy we saw just, you know, drilling holes or, you know, using the chop saw or whatever. They, I don't know, whatever. Helping his dad out. He can't possibly do anything really great. Right? And so they started to look at him according to his flesh. You tell people about the supernatural God you serve, that he's going to do supernatural things through you, the supernatural being, you'll have people look at you in the flesh and say, there ain't no way you can do that. And if you're around people long enough to talk to you like that, they're going to end up dragging you down and pulling you down. Jesus was wise for standing up. And you know, look, listen, you know, Jesus even said to Peter, he said, get behind me, Satan. I don't necessarily recommend that you'd say that to people, but in your mind... <laughs> 
I've met a few that maybe it's a good idea. But in your mind, you should at least be thinking, wait, God said this to me. You said this to me. Get behind me, Satan. Bless you, sir. I will talk to you later. Or maybe not. Whatever, whatever you need to say. Amen. I want you to see this. This is very important, very timely. Go back to the, the chapter previous. Let me give you one more thing about how important it is. And this is where Jesus actually brought protection to his environment. There's many other places in the word where we see this. Mark chapter 5 and verse 21. It says, now when Jesus, and I'm going to read some verses here. I'm going to read 21 through 24, and then we're going to jump to verse 35. It says, now when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, notice the, who came here. It says, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. There's coming a time when we will see such great miracles done by the hands of the saints at Overcomers Church International. We could actually, at that point, we could actually take down our signs, which we wouldn't do because we want people to be able to find us. But we could actually take down our signs at that point because people wouldn't be drawn in just because they're checking out a church. They'd be drawn in by the power of God. Even to the point that the religious leaders in this town's in this town, the Pharisees. Now I'll let you put in whoever you think belongs in there. That's between you and whatever you think. But even the religious people could be so moved. Rulers of the religious institutions could be so moved by the power of God that they would want what we have. I'm telling you, when that time comes, hospitality won't even be that important. I say, well, the greeters weren't very nice to me today, which we have very nice greeters. I'm not saying that. But they'll say, I don't care because what's going on in there, I need that. It looks totally different. You know what the Lord told me? He said, we're rewriting church history. Amen. Oh, I got to move. I won't, I'll never, I'll stay there all day. Verse 24, it says, so Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now a certain, and then actually I'm going to jump forward because then it goes in, in between there and when Jesus arrived to Jairus' house, this woman with the issue of blood was healed. Amazing story. But I want to move over to verse 35. It says, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, Jairus' house, who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Look, there's unbelief and faith again. Verse 37, it says, and he permitted no one to follow him. Notice this, he permitted. In other words, he said, no one's able and no one is going to follow me except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. He limited the people that were around him. Oh, there's a reason why Jesus had the multitude, the 12, the three, the one, and then just the Father. It's good that you're around multitudes of people. It's good that you have people that are disciples with you and around you. It's good that you have those close to you that walk really close to you like Peter, James, and John did with Jesus. But then Jesus just had the one that walked really close to him. John was the, says the disciple that Jesus loved it was really the disciple that Jesus, that really understood the love of Jesus is probably maybe a better way to, to say it. But then Jesus also just had the time with the Father without anybody else. So the environment that you have is extremely important for what you'll receive. It says, then he came to the house of the ruler, verse 38 of the synagogue, and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. Why? It's because they didn't know what Jesus knew. Jesus wasn't weeping and wailing loudly. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew the authority that he had. Jesus knew that he belonged to God, and he knew he could change the situation. Verse 39, when he, said, when he came in, he said to them, 
Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not de- dead, but sleeping. Now, in all natural sense, the child was dead, but I love Jesus' perspective. It's no big deal. She's just asleep. But look at here in verse 40. It says, And they ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside. Come on now. When they're ridiculing you, and you know your position, you need to put them out. I'm not saying you have to kick them out of your house, although you could. I mean, you might have to do that. Some unruly people. But when people are not helping you move forward in the kingdom of God, in your life, and in faith, you need to put them out. It's not worth it to have people contaminate you and how you're believing God. It's not worth it. You say, well, brother, we got to walk in love. Love them, but love them right out the door. I've had times where people are like, oh, man, we've, been, we've just been praying and loving on so-and-so because we want them back. And I'm thinking, Jesus, I, I know that they needed to go because they fought me at everything that I ever did. You say, well, who are you talking about? I, I, I would never name anybody, but I could probably could name you 30 people that fought me at everything that I ever did. And when they left, it was like, oh. So what's happening is that we've cultivated in our cultivating this atmosphere to where people come in and, and we're actually believing that anything could actually, actually happen right here. And you say, well, that, I think you should invite everybody. We're going to win the loss. Don't you worry about that. But, you know, the church isn't, it, actually the church in service, the gathering of the saints, I'm not saying there's not a place for salvation there, but it's actually not meant for the lost. That's another message for another time, apparently. <laughs> apostle, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, or for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. There's a time when it's time to equip. You know, in my house, in my own personal house, if I'm wanting to teach my children something and teach my family something and bring them into something, I, I don't want other people to come in that don't believe like I do. Why? Because I protect the environment of my home. And if you don't like what I'm doing, I don't really care. It's not your home. So when it comes to what God's doing here, for people that don't like what God's doing here, which most of you do, I'm not coming down on you. That's why you're here, praise God. But for people that don't, I say, I don't really care. I'm about the Father's business, and I'm going to work to protect the environment of what God's doing here. Because some people say, well, if it's really God, it'll just happen. No, it won't. Jesus could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. And why do you think he put them all out, as it says right here? Look what happened when he put them all out. It says, and they ridiculed him, but he put them all outside. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him, so only the necessary ones. And he entered where the child was laying. Then he took the child. By the, you get why they ridiculed him. Because the child was dead. And what did Jesus say? Jesus He took what Abraham did, and he called those things that are not as though they were. Woo! Who brings life to the dead. So he looked at the child and said, she ain't dead. She's sleeping. You know, you go, if you were in 99% of churches, and you, if you had somebody in a prayer line, and we prayed for them, and they just fell over dead right here, or wherever, if whoever's in charge would say, they're not dead, and let's just pretend that we took their pulse and we did the defibrillator or whatever it was that we needed to do and we felt like we needed to do, and they showed up dead. If someone were to look at them and say, they're not dead, they're only sleeping. Do you know that most people would ridicule somebody like that and say, you fool, how dare you believe something that we can actually see is taking place? Are you so deceived, preacher? I mean, that's how people think, Right? I mean, that's not a scenario that's likely to happen, but if it did, that's how most people would respond. And here you have that right here. Jesus said, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Doesn't say what they said, but you can imagine. And you would think that people would only believe in the miracles that Jesus did because they saw it, they witnessed it, they heard of it. Even the ruler of the synagogue came and said, I need what you have. 
But there's always going to be people, no matter how supernatural it is, there's always going to be people that say, nah, nah. Even, even when it doesn't require faith to see it. You know, when someone comes out of a wheelchair or gets raised from the dead, after it happens, you don't have to have faith to believe it because it's right there in front of your eyes. But even at that, there's still going to be stinky religious people that will say, nah, no. They should have looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, you've already done so many miracles. We're so glad you're here. And you're right. She is only sleeping. But no, they ridiculed him. It's good to put people out that will ridicule you and come against what it is that God says. Hmm. In verse 41, we'll finish right here. It says, then he took the child, because we have to finish the story. He took the child by the hand and said to her, something in Hebrew or something, I don't know. <laughs> but let me give you the translation, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. Do you know that even them being overcome with great amazement, there was a certain amount of unbelief that was there? Why would they have been surprised that Jesus did what he did? Why should they have been amazed? No, they should be excited. I'm not, listen, if somebody raises from the dead, you should be praising God. But you should not be amazed or surprised. Because when Jesus went walking on the water, it says that they were so amazed beyond measure, for they had not considered the miracle of the loaves which he had just performed. So in other words, the word was saying that if they had considered and thought about the fact that Jesus just fed 5,000 Men, not counting the women and children, with five loaves and two fish, if they had thought about that, they would have seen him walking on the water and thought, normal. <laughs> Typical Jesus, just doing supernatural stuff. But it says that they were so amazed beyond measure, for they had not considered the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. God can do something supernatural. And if you're not careful, natural can come in and harden your heart to believe, to not believe that something even greater or something else can happen. Let us not forget the supernatural that God has already done, for it's only going to increase. This is a supernatural church. And we're going to see supernatural results. We've already seen it. It's, we've already seen it. It's only going to increase. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Thank you for listening to the weekly message. To find out more about Overcomers Church International and to hear more messages like this one, please visit our website at ociperryville.com.